this reading is from Matthew 12, 15 to 21. If you can join with me, you can read it in your Bibles or on the screen. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I'll put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Thank you. Thanks, Julian. Um, I'll now um, invite uh, Pastor David to, to um, preach the Word of God today on, Matt, on this um, part of the Bible, and the title is called The Gentleness of Jesus. guys. Uh, will you join me in prayer before we get started? Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, today is a day uh, where just one day out of seven uh, we come together uh, from all sorts of weeks. Uh, yeah, work weeks. <laughs> uh, whether that work is in an office or as parents or as students, and we come uh, to rest from the work beneath the work. We come to rest in the finished work of Christ. So that's what we're here to do today, um, and I pray that you'd speak through me. Uh, though my words might be imperfect, I pray that your perfect word would do its work uh, in your people. I pray that we would find rest for our souls, uh, that we would uh, know uh, that you delight in us uh, just because uh, you saved us and you loved us. So we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across uh, those little like riddles or, or brain teasers uh, that pop up on social media every so often. Even if you don't have social media, maybe you've seen one in like uh, like a BuzzFeed article or something like that. Um, and you know you might not like riddles. That's fine. Just indulge me for a second, uh, for, for a moment. Um, and it's going to be one that comes up on the screen behind me. Maybe you've seen it before. Uh, it goes like this. Mary has four daughters, and each of her daughters has a brother. How many children does Mary have? Um, I'll give you 30 seconds to, to ponder this. Um, have a think about it. Don't read it too hastily. The, the gears kind of spinning. <laughs> what did you guys answer? Okay, that's a uh, much higher success rate than I <laughs> thought. Uh, because if you're like me, um, you would have hastily, very hastily calculated in your mind, you know, four sisters, 
each has a brother. Four plus four equals eight, right? And uh, so the answer is eight. And obviously that's wrong. Uh, it's very apparent, uh, but it's, it's okay. It's just it's just a riddle. <laughs> but um, I saw this on Facebook uh, a while ago, and I I meant I, I made that calculation in my mind, and I was like excited to scroll through the comments and see my answer affirmed. And what I instead saw uh, was how wrong I was and how much some people cared uh, about letting the people uh, who were wrong know just how wrong they were. The comments were pretty harsh. They ranged from, like, did you even go to school? <laughs> um, this is basic you know, English or basic maths uh, to straight up, you know, you're wrong. The answer is not eight, it's five. And you'd even get these people who uh, would give those long-winded, uh, quite pretentious explanations, like really explaining everything to the T. And there are four daughters. They each have the same one brother. They, you know, they don't have a separate brother. Four plus one equals five. And I was like, okay, I, I get it now. Um, but yeah, I was just scrolling through these comments, and they were, they were really harsh, right? And here's the thing. As Christians... Uh, we believe that all people in the world are lost without God. We believe that we have an ultimate truth, right, and a savior, right? And as we, inter as we relate to people, as we interact with people who don't know that truth, we're going to be very tempted sometimes to not be so gentle, right? Sometimes to be very short, to be very direct, you know, maybe... To, to look down on them even. And not only in our interactions with those outside of our church or these four walls, but even in our interactions with each other, uh, I think we can have that same problem. If you just think about those moments of tension and conflict that you might have you know, with someone who matters to you, uh, maybe it's your spouse or a family member or you know, maybe it's your child even, uh, there comes a point where you feel like you are so right and the other person is so very wrong. And instead of gentleness, what tends to come out of our mouths is a quickness, a harshness, right? It's a harshness that really just erodes relationships. But gentleness, it builds up our relationships with the lost and with each other. Well, harshness tears uh, those relationships down. And in our passage today, you know, Matthew pauses a story to remind us of a Savior who is not only powerful, he comes with authority, he's a king, but he's, he's gentle. He's exceedingly gentle. He's kind. He's patient. He's warm. And it's a gentleness that draws all people from all nations to come and know him. Over the last few weeks, we've been um, in the book of Matthew, and we've been looking at this idea of rest, right? Sabbath rest, rest for our souls. Uh, and if you remember in that famous saying at the end of chapter 11, Jesus extends this invitation to rest, uh, and it's for everyone who is burdened and weary, right? And he says, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And what Jesus is saying here is that we can come to him for rest, 
because He's gentle, but also that we can learn from Him, right? That rest comes from being a people who are marked by that same kind of gentleness, right? That same gentle spirit. So this morning, I want to look at three things as we look at the gentleness of Jesus so that we can learn from Him, right? that we can live lives of rest, so that we can become a gentle people and draw all people to Him. So three things. The first is, where does His gentleness come from? The second is, what does it look like? And finally, what does it accomplish? So where does it come from? What does it look like? And what does it accomplish? So firstly, where does His gentleness come from? So if you think about it, Jesus is someone who knows exactly like what he's here to do. He knows exactly what he's come for, and it's, he knows it's not going to be pleasant or easy. He knows he's going to be rejected. He knows he's coming to lay down his life for his enemies. And I want you to think about just what that must feel like, right? to come with this profound truth where you're going to lay down your life for your enemies, uh, only to be faced with opposition and you know, apathy, persecution, betrayal. So I, I, I want to ask the question, what makes him so patient? What makes him so slow to anger? What makes him willing to overlook faults and even sin instead of being just like someone who's brutally honest, someone who's critical and harsh? Well, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 42 here. Uh, it's a prophecy about the Messiah, about this gentle king. And we see where that gentleness comes from, and it's two things. Number one, gentleness comes from knowing the delight of our Father. Right? Gentleness comes from knowing the delight of our Father. So when you look at verse 18, it says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my, be- my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Um, that should sound a little familiar to you guys. If you jog your memory uh, all the way back to last year in chapter 3 of Matthew, uh, it's a scene where Jesus is getting ready. He's preparing to start his public ministry. And before he does anything miraculous, before he goes and heals people and proclaims the gospel, he goes to the Jordan River and he gets baptized by this uh, wild man, guy in like animal skins and he eats honey, uh, named John. And when that happens, when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And there's this voice that comes from the heavens, and it proclaims, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you guys remember that? And it's God the Father quoting Isaiah 42. See, before Jesus would go out and proclaim the good news of the kingdom, before he would heal the sick, tend to the broken, before he would do anything for his mission, for the kingdom of God, God the Father simply says, you're my son, and I love you, and I am so pleased with you. I'm delighted in you. And to know that, right, to know that deeply and personally, that there is a Father who loves you and who delights in you just because you're his son. Before you've ever done anything for him, it made him gentle. It overflowed into his relationships with others. It made him warm. It made him patient. It made him kind. See, I was thinking about what happens to a person when they don't know that. Right? What happens when a person experiences the opposite of that? 
Uh, is, years ago, I read uh, this book called Leadership and Self-Deception. It's not a Christian book, uh, but it's a, it's a book that's a reflection on um, workplace culture and particularly uh, why people in the workplace are just so critical, why people in the workplace are so quick to put each other down, like why they're so ruthless. Um, and in this book, the, the author has like a really honest moment where he's just reflecting on himself and he starts to think about how when he was a young dad, uh, there would be times at night when um, his baby would be crying, right? And he knew uh, that he should get up to tend to his baby. He knew that his wife had been caring for uh, their son all day, uh, that she was tired and exhausted, but he would just pretend to be asleep. Uh, he would just pretend to not be, uh, pretend to sleep. Um, and as he did that, his mind would start to go through all of the reasons why his wife was lazy, why his wife was incompetent. Even though deep down he knew it wasn't true, that's what his mind started to do. And so he, he stopped and he questioned, like, why, why am I thinking these thoughts? Why am I going there? And he made this profound observation about the human heart, and that is when you fail, right, when you feel ashamed, when you see how ugly your heart can be, when you feel low, right, the only way you can feel okay about that is to bring others down to that same level. But Jesus, who's delighted in by the Father, simply for being his son, you know, the Bible says he never sinned. Uh, he never had that sense of shame. Uh, he knew that God loved him and delighted in him just for being his son. And the gospel says, if you believe in this Savior, if you believe in this Jesus, that he died for you on the cross, then you are in Christ. You are in him, and he lives in you. And when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see the brokenness and the failures on the outside. But he, first and foremost, sees his son in you. He looks at you with the same love, the same affection, the same delight that he has for his eternal son. And for us to know that, for us to hear God say, you know, I love you because I love you. Because I love you. I delight in you, not because you've done anything for me or because you, you've lived well this week or last few months. Because you're a good person, I I'm pleased with you because you were worth the blood that my son shed on the cross. I delight in you just as a father delights in his son. And when you know that, it melts the shame. It melts the insecurities. It melts the anxieties right? So that can so often entangle us right, on a day-to-day -day basis and you know, cause us to lower people around us to our level when we feel like that. And when you know that God loves you and delights in you, just as his child, uh, it makes you gentle. That's not the only thing, though, that we see here. That's not the only source of gentleness that uh, we see for Jesus. Number two, gentleness comes from the power of the Spirit working in us. Right? The power of the Spirit working in us. Uh, so verse 18 goes on to say, I'll put my Spirit upon him. So knowing the Father's delight and being full of the Spirit, they, they actually go together. They work in tandem. See, to know that the Father delights in you 
uh, and being filled with the Spirit, they go hand in hand. And I think that's really encouraging for us, actually, because if I were to just say to you today, hey, you know, the way to be gentle, the way to stop being harsh is just, just know that the Father delights in you. Just know it. Just believe it. And your response might be, yeah, I, I know it in my mind. I know I should believe it. I know it's technically true, but it's still hard. It's still hard to, to actually believe. Like there's an internal resistance. And God is so kind because he doesn't just leave us to just figure it out and believe it and just to like use effort to just absorb it into ourselves. But he gives us his spirit who lives inside of us and the Holy Spirit teaches our hearts to embrace and rest in the Father's love. Right, the Spirit is the one who actually gives us the ability to believe that the Father delights in us. And these two things, uh, the Father's delight, just being a child of God and being filled with the Spirit, they come together in uh, one of the most amazing uh, passages of Scripture I think ever written in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How does God produce gentleness in us? It doesn't come from you. It's not something that you can just do and produce on your own. It doesn't work like that. But God the Father externally pronounces to us in his word that he delights in us, that we're his children. And at the same time, there's an internal transformation of the Spirit speaking to our souls and, and giving us that conviction that we are children of God. And that's how God creates this secure gentleness inside of us. But number two, what does his gentleness look like? What can we learn from Jesus' gentleness I want to start with two things that gentleness is not. Number one, it's not argumentative. So straight away, if you know that you're argumentative, uh, I, I would suggest that maybe you're not, you, you struggle to be gentle, all right? If you are prone to be, uh, you know, a dissenter, you love just disagreeing with people. You can't let things go in little things. If you're argumentative, um, that is not gentleness. Uh, like we see that in verse 19, talking about Jesus, says he will not quarrel or cry out aloud. And we know that Jesus is a really controversial guy. He's not afraid to speak the truth. But he's not aggressive with people. Uh, if you remember just before in this passage, he had this conflict, he had this tension with the Pharisees about you know, what is the Sabbath all about? And the Pharisees are like, it's about keeping the law to the letter. And Jesus is like, no, it's about doing good. It's about mercy about healing, and he heals this man with a withered hand to prove his point, and he declares himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, and he doesn't stay there and pick a fight. He doesn't like slam dunk on the Pharisees. He's not argumentative. Yeah, what, what he actually does is he withdraws. That's what it says in verse 15. He doesn't, you know, string out an argument. He withdraws. And that's a challenge to us, you know. I know sometimes for me, I, you know, exchange that label argumentative with just, I don't know, rational. <laughs> or, uh, 
logical or something like that, you know. But I, I know that when I see those argumentative tendencies in me, that, that I struggle with gentleness. And uh, you know, maybe you do too. Number two, gentleness is not attention-seeking. See that in the second half of verse 19? Still talking about this gentle king. It says, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Uh, Dallas Willard, he translates he translates it this way. He says, you won't be able to hear his voice among the chatter of the street. You know, we live in a world where you know, visibility is success. Like, it's all about the clicks. It's all about the views, the subscribers. It's all like how provocative you are, how much you stand out. But Jesus comes with a quietness. He comes with a hiddenness that's drowned out by the chatter of the street. And his ministry was actually like that. If you go back to verse 15, it says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known. There's a quietness to the way that Jesus ministers to people, the way that he ministers to us. It's, it's powerful, but it's hidden. You know, when he works in us, when he works in you, it might not be outwardly visible. It might not be so apparent, but he's gently working. He's ministering. He's healing, and that ultimately gives him glory. Right, so gentleness is not argumentative. It's not attention-seeking. So let's look at two things that it is. Number one, gentleness is drawn to weakness. See that in verse 20. Uh, it's talking about a bruised reed. He will not break. And you're like, wh- what does that even mean? Um, what's a reed? <laughs> a reed is like a stick, I think, like a part of a plant. Uh, back then, it apparently had a lot of uses. <laughs> uh, used it to measure things, to build things, to support things. But once it started to bruise, uh, that meant it's gonna, it was going to crack and break soon. So, uh, you know, that thing would become useless and you'd throw it out straight away. And one of the marks of all the people that Jesus cared for was that they were like bruised reeds. Like they had obvious weaknesses about them. They were disabled. They were sick. They were poor. They were broken. They were needy. They were guys who had no use to Jesus' kingdom. But Jesus is still drawn to them. And he's drawn to weak and bruised people. Um, you know, there's this old song uh, by a worship uh, artist named Sarah Edwards. Um, she was a worship leader at uh, the International House of Prayer in Kansas. Um, and she wrote this song. It's really short. Uh, it's called Dark But Lovely. It's a song I used to listen to a lot. Um, started listening to it again. Um, and it's all about uh, this gentle savior who's drawn to weakness. Um, and you know, she talks about how she wrote this about herself uh, in, in a moment of brokenness, in a moment where she could not understand who would be drawn to this kind of ugliness, this kind of weakness. And this is what she writes. She says, Though I'm poor, you say I'm lovely. Though I'm dark, you say I'm beautiful. Somehow, my weak glance has overwhelmed you. And somehow my, my weak love has stolen away your heart. So Jesus isn't repelled by weakness. He's drawn to it. And when you feel, when you feel weak, when you feel burnt out, 
and you feel pretty much useless to God, uh, you know, that's precisely the moment that he's drawn to you. That's precisely the moment that he'll come and he'll pour out. That he'll heal you. That he'll tend to you and care for you. So gentleness is drawn to weakness. But secondly, gentleness delights in small graces. So verse 20 continues, um, a smoldering wick he will not quench. And there are all sorts of references here that we like, don't really know what these are. We don't use wicks um, or reeds. <laughs> a wick is a little strip of cloth that they used to uh, douse in oil and use in their lamps back in the day. And what would happen is if a wick was faulty, uh, it would start to smoke. And that's you know, not a good thing, right? It would just smoke up the whole room. It's bad for your lungs. It would obscure the, the, the light. Um, so if you had a smoking, smoldering wick, you'd, you'd put that thing out immediately. But it's saying that Jesus will not quench a smoldering wick. And what that means is even if there is the tiniest spark of grace in your life, even if there is the smallest spark of God doing work in you, like that's precious to him. Like he, he'll cherish it. He'll hold on to it. He won't quench it. Um, Richard Sibbs, a Puritan pastor, describes it like this. He says, To Christ, the least spark is precious, and he ever cherishes even the least beginnings. He cherishes the acorn that will become an oak tree. And that's so encouraging, isn't it? Because like so often we'll think, my faith is so small. Like I'm really struggling. I feel like I should be so much further along. I should be here, but I'm actually all the way back here. But Jesus, like, I, I know, like, I, I care what the Bible says. Like, I think you have to be even a little bit frustrated with me. You must be. I'm frustrated with me right now. But Jesus sees a small spark of grace, a small spark of God doing work in us to sanctify us, to bring an acorn to become like an oak tree. And he delights in it. He finds it so precious. He cherishes it. And I think if we really know that, you know, that should mark us as a church, as a people, that should change the way that we look at other people around us. You know, we should be those who celebrate and delight in the smallest work of life and grace that God is doing in each of us. So what does his gentleness accomplish? Right? Uh, we talked about where it comes from. Uh, we talked about what it looks like, but what does it actually do? Final verse, verse 21, it gives us this great picture of the Gentiles, all the nations of the world, coming and hoping in this gentle king. It's giving us a picture where gentleness, not power and force, uh, is what makes people come to Jesus, what draws them in. And chances are, I want you to think about how you came to be here today. Uh, I think chances are you're not here today because you, know, you were impressed by Jesus' power and authority. Or you're not here today because you just wanted to be on the winning team. Uh, no, you're here today because to some degree, in some way, you've experienced his gentleness. You've experienced 
a gentle Savior being drawn to you in times of great weakness, in times where you felt like a bruised reed, uh, you've experienced His joy, His delight at the smallest spark of God's work in your life. You've experienced Him taking the sin, the burden of sin off of your shoulders, not condemning you, but inviting you to find forgiveness and rest in Him. And that's what causes all people to come and hope in this King. It's the very thing that will draw our neighbors, our colleagues, our friends, our family members who don't know Jesus to come and hope in this King. Um, you know, I was thinking about in times of great weakness uh, for myself, I've had a lot, um, and I'm sure that you guys have had as well, um, where I've experienced uh, this kind of gentleness. Yeah, I was thinking about how I came to be here today, right? Um, and, you know, for 25 years of my life, I, uh, I had a really, I've had a really broken relationship with my parents. Um, it wasn't overtly broken. It wasn't like, you know, um, sort of like coming to blows or anything like that. Um, although we nearly did at one point. Uh, but just over 25 years, uh, my relationship with them was progressively more and more um, broken and fake and cynical. Uh, it was a lifetime of uh, just primarily me lying to them to uh, you know, cover things up, to not uh, receive their disappointment, uh, to avoid the many conflicts and the arguments that uh, I would have with them. Um, and there came a point in my life where, um, you know, I think it happens to everyone, you know, the lies, they catch up with you. Um, years and years of lies and failures, they, they caught up with me, and I had to come clean. I didn't want to, but <laughs> I had to. Um, and, you know, I, I was so destroyed, I was so uh, hopeless, I considered running away, I was saving up money. I, I wanted to run away because I, I, I thought maybe they might miss me more than they'll hate me. Maybe they might be more worried about me than they would be disappointed in me. And I, I really didn't know what to do, um, so I didn't tell them in person. It was too much for me. I wrote this massive wall of text. It was like 4,000-word um, exposition on all of my failures and all of my lies. And I pressed send and I closed my laptop and I could not look at it for weeks. I was so terrified. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, there was just a short email and m my dad was the first person to reply and all he said was, hey son, uh, we love you. we forgive you and we want you to know that we really care about you and that was it you know, many conversations came after that but you know when that when I read that it turned my world upside down it completely dissolved my shame and my dad he's not, he's not a perfect father 
is far from that. But God is. God is a perfect father. God created you and formed you in your mother's womb. He knows you. He loves you. And in Christ, He's adopted you into His family. And He calls you my son, my daughter. I'm so pleased with you. And you know, I've enjoyed preaching over the past three weeks, especially in the book of Matthew. Um, I, I know we're going through this book um, over the year and there are different parts to it. But um, we've been looking at this idea of rest, right? Finding rest for our souls. You know, far better than any one day off or a holiday or just you going today and doing what you want to do will give. Rest for your soul. Right, that's spiritual REM sleep. And today of all days, on this day that we call the Sabbath, Jesus invites us to come and find rest for our souls in Him. And it's an invitation to simply hear God say, I see the burdens in your life. I see the sins. I see the failures. I see the shame. I even see the hardness of the heart. But you are my beloved child. And I'm so very well pleased with you. You know, I want to ask that the Spirit come on the Sabbath day, on this day of rest, and that He would do His work in us. And even right now, as we hear those words again, God saying to us, You are my beloved child, in whom I am well pleased. Today's a day where we come and we stop from work, not just the work that we do Monday to Friday or, you know, in, in our offices, in our schools, at our homes. Today's a day where we come, we stop, we pause from the work beneath the work and from that incessant drive and that need to do more, to prove ourselves, to feel better about ourselves. And we just stop and we just be. Just be a child of God today. In Christ, that is who you are. That is who you are. Let's pray. Father, um, and we need your help today. Don't want this day to be like any other day. Don't want it to just kind of glide over our heads. Lord, um, we need your help. We need the work and the witness of the Spirit inside of us. I, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and my sisters here today that as we just come together and as we stand before this joyful proclamation that you make over us. You are my beloved child in whom 
I am well pleased. Help us to be transformed by that. Help us to be changed by that. Help us to know that rest. Help us to be gentle, to become gentle, not because we just change our behavior or because we just want to be better, but because we're so secure in the love and delight that you have for us as your children. I pray that our church would be marked by that kind of gentleness. And I pray that all people from all nations would see this gentle Savior in the Gospels and would see this gentle Savior being formed in us. And all people from all nations would come and hope in this gentle King. That's our desire. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray.